Chapter 45 I wish you didn't have to go, Arl said. Link looked up at his sister as he pulled on his boot and smiled, reaching out and mussing her blonde hair. You know I have to. Doesn't change the fact that you're going to miss my birthday. So you'll have plenty more to come. I promise I'll be there for at least some of them. He laced his boot while looking up at her. Soon to be twelve years old, Arl still looked very young. Yet there were hints at the woman she would become. It was strange, since he could still remember her being a baby. He even remembered trying to teach her to walk, and how to run, much to their parents' dismay. And now she was slowly becoming a young woman. He already felt as though he'd missed too much of it. I know, I just... I hate when you have to leave. She furrowed her brows, pouting. You're never around. That hurt. But it was true. She and their mother had remained in Hatano village, looking after their interests there, while he and his father spent most of the year at the castle, coming home during the harvest and parts of the winter. Following their mother's death, however, Arn had decided to retrieve Arl and bring her to live in Castletown, leaving their small holding under the care of a steward for the time being. Though he had decided to retire from service shortly thereafter, he hadn't been ready to leave Castletown, it would seem. Not now that Link had become one of the few that the entire nation pinned their hopes on. I know, but I do try to see you when I can. He tried to give her an encouraging smile. That was why he'd taken leave from the castle for the last few days, leaving Zelda in the hands of several other hand-picked guards. And I'll be back soon. In truth, he didn't know how long their trip would take. They would visit Death Mountain before continuing on south to Farron Rainforest and the Spring of Courage. It would take at least a month, if not longer. And then you'll probably just have to leave again, Arl said. Link sighed, though he silently acknowledged that she was probably right. Zelda seemed excited by the prospect of leaving again. She really did like being out in the wild where there was no one else around to stare at her. I'll try to spend more time at home, he finally said. We'll go out on a long ride together when I get home. Maybe even spend a couple of nights under the stars. Arl's eyes lit up. Will you let me ride a poner? We'll see, Link said. She still doesn't really like other riders very much. She likes me. Sometimes I go to see her at the stables and bring her treats. So that's why she started to look a little round in the middle. I've got to tell the stable hands not to let you anywhere near her. Arl slapped his arm, and he laughed, reaching out and drawing her into a tight embrace. He kissed the top of her head and released her, standing up. I actually have something for you. A birthday present? He looked at her and smirked. Well, yeah, I didn't forget. He had forgotten, actually. But a quick trip into the market rectified that mistake when he realized it the day prior. He walked to the small dresser in the room that he called his own when visiting his family in the city. 
opening it and pulling out a small object wrapped in brown paper. Arl clapped her hands together and ran up to him, eyes shining with excitement. Link smiled and held the present out to her, which she opened with nimble fingers. Inside the package was a small wooden boat. When he had seen it, he'd marveled at its craftsmanship. The deck and masts were carved masterfully, and actual cloth had been used to make the sails, dyed to match the sails on the royal barges. Link! This is beautiful! She gently lifted the ship out, turning it over with wide eyes. She had always loved going down to the sea and watching the ships float by the hot snow bay. While he knew she still went down to the docks in the city from time to time, the ships that floated by on the river were typically flat-bottomed barges, not the massive seafarers that she'd been able to see before. It wasn't the same, and he knew she missed it. Arl threw her arms around him, squeezing him tightly. He bent down to hug her tightly, but both of them paused when they heard a knock on the front door. Frowning, he stood back up, looking at Arl with a curious expression and they both walked out. Their father reached the door first, however, pulling it open to reveal Zelda. She was dressed in her blue traveling outfit, and he could see her horse standing just behind her, the travel bags already packed and ready to go. A pair of guards stood anxiously to either side of the horse. Princess, his father said, confusion registering in his expression and tone. Briefly, he looked past her, frown creasing his forehead. Arn's posture grew straighter, and Link saw his hand lower to where the hilt of his sword would have once sat on his hip. No sword rested there now, however. He seemed momentarily confused by this and spared Link a brief glance. Finally, he went down on one knee, lowering his head respectfully. Link quickly moved past Arn, meeting Zelda's eyes and then those of the guards. Princess, is everything all right? he asked, eyes darting warily. He recognized the guards. He'd personally assigned each of them to duty this morning. One of them looked at him and gave him an apologetic smile. It's all right, Zelda said, raising her hands quickly. Sir Arn, please. Please rise. I am at your home. There is no need for such formalities. She met Link's eyes, a slight flush appearing on her cheeks. I came here to find you. I wish to see if you were ready to set out. Oh, for... He forced his face to remain calm, though his heart raced in his chest. If something had happened, if they had been attacked or ambushed... Ever since the desert, he'd been worried about hidden assassins. He trusted the guards with her in the castle, but out and about in the city, he trusted only his own sword. Princess, that isn't... You could have sent a messenger... I would have returned at once. There's no guarantee that the streets are safe. Zelda's expression cooled, and he swore internally. That expression was never a good thing. He glanced at the guards behind her. You two, go back to the castle. Inform the others that we will be setting off from here. He hoped that Zelda had at least gathered some food supplies. He had some here that he could pack up for their trip, but if she hadn't secured any, they would either have to stop for supplies in a village or he would have to start hunting sooner than he'd expected. Zelda turned to look at her guards, giving them each a warm smile. Thank you for accompanying me. For a moment, the guards seemed confused. Finally, they each said, 
Yes, your highness, before saluting Link and hurrying off. He watched them go, lips pursed. He would address that when they returned. The next time that Zelda wanted to go off into the city, he had better be sent a fast messenger. Oh, stop, Zelda said, giving him a disdainful look. I'm fine. I'm quite certain that they would have been able to protect me from any rowdy merchants we passed in the streets. Z Link stopped himself, taking a quick breath. It would not do for his father to hear that. Your Highness, I would have come to you. He tried keeping his tone even. It wouldn't do for her to hear his irritation. Or his worry. She appeared to take notice anyway, and her eyes flashed with defiance. Yet now that is quite unnecessary, Sir Link, for I have come to you. She paused. Are you ready? He'd known she was excited for the trip, though this was surprising. But then again, as he thought about it, perhaps her impatience was not shocking. For the last week, Zelda had been set upon by priest after priest, instructing her in prayers, mantras, and other things she should do at the Spring of Courage. He could tell how much it had been agitating her. I... Almost. Why don't you come in? He glanced around, anxious about the number of other townspeople that had taken notice of her. I just need to finish packing up a few things. Thank you, she said, with that prim tone she used when she was annoyed. This wasn't the best way to start their trip. She stepped inside and he followed, closing the door behind them. He was aware of his father's eyes on him, and Link didn't meet his gaze. Instead, he found Arl standing several feet away, looking at the princess with wide eyes. He tried to remember if his sister had ever actually met, or even seen, Zelda. His sister spent very little time around the castle, even now. Zelda glanced around the house curiously, and Link felt an uncomfortable urge to start cleaning things. His father was not a slovenly man. The decades spent as a knight in service to the royal family meant he preferred things to be neat and orderly. But he also never had to keep a house in order before, either. Link's mother had always done those things. Arl helped, but she preferred getting into mischief out in the city. He knew how much of a handful she could be for his father. The princess, however, did not look disappointed. She smiled at Arn, who still looked tense despite his intimate familiarity with the royal family. He'd likely never had one of them in his home. You keep a neat home, Sir Arn. Now I know where your son gets it. Oh, I'm afraid that he didn't get that from me, Your Highness, Arn said, relaxing some. He glanced back towards Link. Any neatness that boy has comes from his mother. He still calls me boy, Link thought with a wry smile. He found that he didn't mind. It was good that someone could look at him and not only see the master's sword. Perhaps, but the discipline he shows during our travels must surely come from you. A small smile graced Zelda's lips as she spoke. He is rather stubborn about fulfilling his duty with absolute precision. His heritage is clear. The words had their desired effect. Arn stood a little taller, broad chest expanding. Thank you, princess. It is good to know that he is performing his duties well. Zelda shot a glance at Link, and he saw the mischievous glint in her eye. He kept his face carefully controlled. Ever since that night in the garden, she had been merciless about making sure he was relaxed around her. She scolded him, even for a hint of formality. 
He hadn't shared any of that with his father, though he wasn't entirely certain why. Likely because his friendship between them felt... different than the one his father had with the king. Princess, have you had the opportunity to meet my sister? Link asked as he stepped around behind Arl and placed both his hands on her shoulders. Zelda turned and smiled broadly. I think I have, actually, but you probably don't remember. You were only a toddler at the time. And you weren't much older, Link thought. Zelda, he'd found, had a keen memory. She could even remember events from even when she was barely older than a baby, with vivid detail. It was no wonder that she was so knowledgeable. I I'm sorry, but I don't... She cut off as Zelda suddenly thrust her hand out. Arl stared at it for a moment, seemingly horrified by the prospect of actually shaking her hand. Link gently nudged her, and she finally broke out of her trance and took Zelda's hand, shaking it quickly, before letting go. There. Now we've met properly, Zelda said. You know, Link has told me a lot about you. He has? Arl's pitch rose an octave. Mm-hmm. He said you have a fondness for being outdoors. Link saw her eyes dart down to the small ship held in Arl's other hand. And that you want to be a ship captain in the future. He did? She sounded more like a squeaking mouse now. Link didn't even remember telling her those things. It must have come up in some of her rapid questioning sessions back in Karudo Desert. He wondered if she just remembered everything he'd said, or if she wrote it down in one of her many journals. Did she study his answers? Personally, I think it sounds like a wonderful idea. If I weren't a princess, I think it would be fun to set sail at sea. I've never actually been on a ship before. I have, Arl said, clearly excited by this line of questioning. I got some of the fishermen to take me out with them back in Hartnell Village. I'd like to hear about that, Zelda said. She glanced up towards Link and then raised an eyebrow. But aren't you supposed to be getting ready for our trip? Link felt his cheeks grow warm. Of course, if you'll excuse me, princess. She gave him a slight smile and nodded. He quickly withdrew back to his bedroom to finish getting ready. Behind him, he could hear Zelda and Arl begin discussing the finer points of sea vessels. The cool early morning breeze ruffled Link's hair as he looked to the southeast, where Naboris and its sandstorm lay, still too far away to see from here. He sat atop of the mushroom-shaped stone pillar that rose above the inn. It had a series of ladders that allowed people to climb up to its peak, though Link had never seen anyone else do so. He wasn't sure what had triggered the memory of his father and sister, and now that he had it, he didn't know if he was happy to have seen it or not. The memory had been a happy one, full of such hope for the future, yet Link knew that his sister never saw her next birthday. She never became a ship captain, as she'd hoped, and he'd promised her that he would be around more often. Had he done so? Did he make up missing her birthday to her, like he'd promised? Did Arl die, wishing that she got a chance to spend more time with her older brother? whom she'd looked up to so much. He feared that he knew the answer. He knew, based on other memories, that he and Zelda had spent a great deal of time those last few months on the road, and rarely at home. 
he shed no tears any longer. Those had long since dried on his cheeks. He'd been sitting there for well over an hour. When he woke, the sun hadn't even begun to rise, though he was now beginning to see the first hint of color on the distant horizon. It was better not knowing, he thought bitterly. It was enough to know I had a family. A sister. I didn't need to know. A lump formed in his throat, and he shook his head. No. That was wrong. He wanted to remember his sister, and the bond they'd share. He just didn't want to face the truth. He'd failed her. He'd failed her. And she was killed by Ganon. Ganon. The name was like a curse. Hatred and rage bubbled up in him at the mere thought. Ganon had taken everything from him. His home, his family, his friends, his life. It seemed supremely wrong that the creature still lived. And so he looked to the southeast, towards where the last remaining piece of Ganon remained. He would destroy the creature within, for his sister. From deep within his consciousness, the Master Sword thrummed with agreement. It too felt the urge to destroy the evil that inhabited this land. The spirit within the sword felt as though she, too, had failed when she was needed. And she wanted to right that wrong. We will, Ling thought, clenching his hands into fists. We will. Something had changed in the city since the night before, though Link wasn't sure what it was. The guards at the front seemed more alert. They were tense and curt with those entering. They did not stop Link, however. His disguise still held. He wondered how the Yiga had seen through the disguise. Perhaps being so good at disguises themselves made them capable of picking out other disguises. Or perhaps they had been watching him ever since he entered the desert, waiting for the chance to strike. Once inside, he found that the market was not unlike it had been the afternoon before. Yet he thought he also saw more guards. While people shopped and enjoyed what Gerudo Town had to offer, its policing force was on high alert. What had happened? Did someone get wind of his encounter with the Yiga? But no. No one had seen him fighting them, from what he'd been able to tell, and what evidence had been left behind other than their weapons. Would those cause such a stir? Would the Gerudo even know who the Yiga are? Feeling increasingly anxious, Link made his way through the busy market without pausing. He would be arriving earlier than the guards indicated their chief met with outsiders, but he wanted to meet with her as quickly as possible. The sooner he got the information he sought, the sooner he could destroy the creature within the Divine Beast. And the sooner he could kill Ganon. When he arrived at the palace, it was still morning, though the day had already grown incredibly hot. Though his Gerudo attire was light and airy, Link still felt sweat trickling down his forehead and back. He took a drink of his water skin as he looked up towards the palace, and the pair of guards standing at the ready in front of his entrance. They were a different pair than last night, but that wasn't to be unexpected. Other than them, however, he noticed a number of other guards in the area. Many of them spoke to each other, in hushed tones keeping a wary eye out. Several of them were watching him. "'What brings you here, Hylian?' One of the guards asked when he approached. I was here last night, Link said. I was told to come back today. 
if I wanted to see your chieftain. Both of the guards stiffened, and he felt even more certain that something must have happened after he left last night. What was going on? Lady Rigia is extremely busy with Garuda business. Why is it so important that you meet with her? What purpose brings you to Garuda town? Link swallowed. I... He hesitated. With how tense the Garuda were, would they really let him in just to see their chieftain? The truth, then, or something close to it. I'm a researcher who has been studying the Divine Beasts. I understand that yours is causing you trouble, and I wish to offer my assistance in calming it. The two Gerudo looked at him suspiciously for a few moments before one of them turned and went inside. The remaining guard continued to watch him closely. Finally, she said, You are a researcher, and will disord. I research Shika technology, he explained. Sometimes that requires me to travel to dangerous locations. He worried that his nervousness would give him away, but the woman seemed to accept that. She spoke again after a few moments. I suppose that to mean you have traveled to many places in Hyrule. I... Yes, I have. Have you met many Vo on your travels? What? Link thought, surprised at the question. Sometimes. My sisters say that there are fewer towns outside of the desert than there used to be, the woman said, not focusing on Link. Now they must often travel very far to meet Vo, unless they come across one on the road. Why do you wish to meet a Vo? Link asked, perplexed. The Gerudo sighed, relaxing some. I wish to meet someone to fall in love with, of course. Many of my friends have traveled east to meet Vo. Some of them even have husbands, though a few brought their husbands back to the desert. She paused. Do you have a husband? No, he said quickly. Is it difficult for you to woo a Vo? We go through so much training on how to do so, yet it seems so complicated. It's not so complicated, Link said, feeling awkward. What does she mean by training? You are a beautiful woman. I'm sure there are many men that would be happy to, um, marry you. The Gerudo smiled underneath her veil. Saxo. That is a very nice thing to say. You two are very beautiful. I am sure that you shall find someone one day as well. He was spared any more of the awkward conversation when the first guard stepped back out and motioned for him to follow. He bade the woman farewell and followed the other guard into the palace. The interior of the palace was lavish. The floor of the entrance hall was covered with thick rugs, and the walls were likewise covered with drapes of deep red color. Light streamed in through the windows higher up on the wall, illuminating beautiful gemstones that had been set into the wall between the drapes. The guard led Link down a hall, which came out into what he assumed was the throne room. This room was even more majestic than the other, if not more lavish. The entire room had clearly been carved directly out of rock, or perhaps it had been a cave. While the walls were smoothed and supported by sandstone, the ceiling was still mostly just rough stone. The walls contained several arches that led deeper into the palace structure, or out onto the grounds, each of which was outlined into gemstones. 
Two stone statues of Gerudo stood atop pedestals near the room's entrance, each adorned with golden armor. Beyond them were pools of water on either side of the carpeted walkway. Past all of this, atop a raised platform was the throne. It stood tall and imposing, with gold-plated arms and legs. Gerudo text had been carved into the stone back of the throne, and likewise inlaid with gold. Above the letters was the symbol of the Gerudo, which looked vaguely like two circles side by side, within a round-edged diamond. The imposing image of the throne was slightly spoiled by the sight of who and what sat in it. A wooden booster seat of sorts had been made to hang suspended between the tall arms of the throne, and sitting on this seat was the young girl he'd seen in the palace bedroom when he first arrived. She leaned to one side, fists tucked up under her chin, and legs crossed at the ankle. Though she was dressed more formally now than before, she wore the same crown that she did when Link first saw her. Golden hoops covered her neck, upper arms, wrists, and ankles, while the outfit she wore revealed her midriff and ended in a loose skirt. She had on a lot of makeup, deep blue lipstick and dark eyeshadow. But none of this did anything to hide the fact that she was far younger than Link had expected. I thought maybe she was the chief's daughter, he thought his heart sinking. She looks to be barely older than Arl was in my memory. And to make matters worse, the Gerudo that had interrogated him while in prison stood directly beside the Gerudo chieftain, sword point to the ground, looking at him with a fierce expression. Link hesitated, looking at the woman nervously, but she did not say anything to suggest she actually recognized him. Not yet, anyway. Speak quickly, Arian, the tall woman said as Link slowly approached, banging the tip of her sword on the stone ground to emphasize her words. That can't be good for the sword, Link thought. The woman continued. You're in the presence of Lady Riju, chief of the Gerudo Desert and all her people. You say you have information about the Divine Beast. Link stopped walking when he saw the woman's eyes flash with a warning. That was close enough. I am... Hmm, the young girl said, cutting him off. She tilted her head, looking at him curiously. You know, Baliara, this one looks familiar, doesn't she? She placed an emphasis on the last word. Link sighed. The tall woman, Baliara, narrowed her eyes, looking at Link. Finally, she said, Lady Riju, I don't. She stopped, glancing at the sword hilt sticking up from his back. She stared at it for a moment, and then her eyes darted back to his face. He saw her knuckles turn white. Remove your veil. Link met her eyes, pursing his lips. He did as ordered, however, knowing that any hope of hiding who he was had passed. He reached up, unclasping one side of his veil and letting it fall. Boliara's eyes widened and nostrils flared. You! She yanked her sword up from off the ground and quickly moved to stand between him and Riju. Guards! To me! Wait! Please! He said, speaking quickly. I'm here about the Divine Beast. I can tame it! Behind him, he heard the chinking of gold armor and footsteps on carpeted floors. He raised his hands, keeping them away from anything that could appear as a weapon. He would only draw his sword, if absolutely necessary. He prayed it wouldn't be.
I let you go once, but not again, Boliara said, her eyes in a tempest of rage. I will remove your head myself, you damnable. Stop. The guards behind him stopped immediately, responding to the girl's voice behind Boliara. The tall woman stiffened and spoke in a lower tone, though she did not take her eyes from Link. Chief Riju, this Vi, this Vi is an ally of ours, Boliara. And the Gerudo have always treated their allies well. Lady Riju stood in her throne, which allowed her head to peek out from over Boliara's shoulder. She smiled at the guards who stood behind Link. It is quite all right. Just a misunderstanding. Please, return to your duties. Lady Riju, I do not advise this course of action, Boliara said, teeth clenched. At the very least, I request the presence of the guards for your safety. Nonsense. I do not think our friend here is in any danger to me. Besides, you are more than capable of keeping me safe, Boliara. There was a tense moment during which Boliara's eyes did not leave Link's. She looked ready to take her greatsword and cleave him in two. Finally, however, she glanced at her guards and nodded. Back to your posts. Link heard them depart just as quickly as they came. After another moment, Boliara stepped to the side, though she still held her sword at the ready. Lady Riju smiled and eased herself back down in her throne, which Link noticed had padding with an odd design on it. Is that a sand seal? Now, the girl said, clapping her hands together. You might wish to push the rail back on. If word of this got out, she whistled softly. It is a great crime. Link tore her eyes from Bulyara, who looked ready to administer the necessary punishment where he stood, and glanced at Riju. He nodded and reached up, replacing the veil across his face. After a moment of silence, the girl cleared her throat. Well? You say you're here to help us. I would advise that you tell us how you plan to do so. Though perhaps you should start with who you are. My name is Link, he said, no longer bothering to disguise his voice. Boliara flinched. I am the Hylian champion who fought alongside Urbosa 100 years ago. What is this nonsense? Boliara spat. All of the champions were killed. Yuju's eyes rose high on her forehead, but she said nothing. No, he said. Princess Zelda survived. And so did I, though narrowly. I was placed in an ancient Sheikah chamber that restored me to health, though it took 100 years to do so. I woke three months ago and have thus far tamed each of the divine beasts save for one. Naboris, Riju said breathlessly. He nodded. She looked at him, a spark of what he thought might have been hope in her eye. If this is true, then... What proof do you have? Link considered for a moment and then reached down to his Sheikah slate, pulling it off of his hip. He opened the gallery and found the image of the six of them standing together. He gazed at it for a moment and then stepped forward. Boliara moved like a viper, intercepting him and holding her sword out, its point inches from his neck. That is far enough, Vo. Link hesitated, glancing around her to see Riju. 
and then he turned the Sheikah slate around to show them the image. Riju gasped softly, and even Buliara seemed to waver. I trust that you have at least some kind of portrait of Obosa around, he asked, hoping it to be the case. Riju nodded slowly, speaking softly, as if to herself. In my bedchamber. Then I am sure you recognize the woman in the photograph. The others are Mifa, the Zora, Daruk the Goron, Rivali the Rito, Princess Zelda, and me. Bilyara. It's all right, Riju said, her voice soft. Let him come closer. The tall woman hesitated for just a moment, and then she lowered her sword, taking a step back to stand just beside the throne. Riju met Link's eyes and held her hand out. Dutifully, he took a single step forward and leaned forward, handing her the Sheikah slate to inspect. He stepped back, just to be safe. Riju gazed down at the photograph for a long time. Finally, she held it out to Bulyara, who took it and inspected the photograph before stepping forward and handing it back to Link. The young chief looked at Link shrewdly, tapping her fingers thoughtfully. He saw her eyes flick up to look at the covered hilt above his shoulder. Is that... the sword, then? Lady Urbosa spoke of it in her diary. The sword that seals the darkness. Is that it? Link hesitated, glancing at Bulyara, and then decided to take another step back, just in case. He reached up and grasped the Master Sword's hilt, sliding it free of its sheath. Bilyara tensed, but said nothing. He gently placed the sword's tip on the ground and unwrapped the hilt, revealing the spotless purple hilt and the yellow gemstone at its center. Riju looked towards Bulyara, biting her lip. But a moment later she stopped doing so, and her expression firmed. She looked back at Link and sat up straighter. It is good that you have come, then. Do you have a plan with which to tame the Boris? Link hesitated. I had hoped that perhaps you would know a way to get past the lightning. Miliara snorted. So, you expend so much effort to sneak into the city and confront Lady Riju, and you do not even have a plan. I am one man, Link said, growing irritated. With each of the previous divine beasts, I have received assistance from the races they belong to. I don't see why the Gerudo should be any different. I told you that. You admit that you do not know how to tame the beast. Link took a step forward, and Buliara moved to intercept again. Look, get me on Naboros, and I will bring it down. But each divine beast was designed to be only approachable by a member of the race it belonged to. Each one could only be overcome by the abilities or technology possessed by Azora, Goron, and Rito. I assume the same applies here. So you are useless. Lady Riju, I think we have heard enough. We should eject this vow immediately and be done with it. Something snapped in Link. I'm trying to save you. You don't know what I've been through to enough. Riju's voice cracked like a whip, silencing them both. Link stepped back, breathing deeply and flushed with anger and shame. 
He knew he was growing too emotional, but with a short time left in the memory from this morning. Muliar, too, looked contrite. She took a step back, resuming her normal pose, her sword's tip against the ground. Riju tapped her fingers on her throne, looking at Link. Finally, she sighed. There was a way to approach Naboris. However, it is no longer possible. Link's heart fell. What do you mean? There is an heirloom. Passed down from chief to chief for generations. An image popped into Link's head and his eyes widened. A Thunderhelm? Yes, Riju said. You know of it. Urbosa told me about it. She always had it nearby, and I asked her once. She said that it gave her power over lightning. Urbosa held the golden helmet with reverent fingers while sitting in the grass. She tapped it with a long fingernail. I've used this for long enough that I no longer need to wear it, she said. But my power is strongest when it is near. With the way things have been going lately, I feel it necessary to keep it close. It was stolen, Riju said. The memory in Link's mind popped. What? He said, stolen? How? The Yiga clan, Boliara said, her voice dangerously low. Link closed his eyes, exhaling slowly. Sabotage, of course, it made sense. Really, it was genius. He opened his eyes again, meeting Riju's. They did the same at Zora's domain. They attempted to sabotage attempts to stop the Divine Beast before it flooded the entire river. Riju glanced at Boliara again. Then it wasn't just to steal the heirloom as we suspected. They truly are attempting to destroy us. Yes, the taller woman said. She looked furious, though her anger was no longer directed towards Link. When did they take it? Riju looked at him, pursing her lips. A little over a month ago. We knew they had a base somewhere nearby, but they rarely caused problems for us, so we left them alone. You left them alone? Link asked, incredulous. They serve Ganon. They've been sending assassins after me for weeks. Hell, two of them tried killing me last night in your city. What? Impossible. No Yiga are within our... Boliara started but then stopped herself, realizing the flaw in that statement. There had been Yiga within their walls, after all. A little over a month ago. There were, Link said. I dealt with them. But what do you mean they have a base near here? You know where they are? Riju nodded. We didn't before the Thunderhelm was taken. After, however, we sent Gerudo out searching everywhere for any hint at where the thieves might have taken it. We found them last week. We attempted to lead an attack on their base last night, but they fought us off. That explained the increased tension within the city. They were preparing for a counterattack, but the Yiga would not launch an attack like that. No. They would attack from the shadows. They'll try to kill you, he said, his voice grim. They can try, Boliara said. They're crafty, he said. Masters of disguise, and they have... abilities. I'm not sure if it is trickery or actual magic, 
but they are able to appear and disappear at will. I trust my guards, Riju said. They shall keep me safe. However, the problem remains. The Yiga clan has the Thunder Helm. We believe that it is being held in their hideout. Can you attack again with higher numbers? It is not that simple, Boyara said. Their hideout is at the end of a narrow canyon, which is very defensible. We were able to sneak scouts in, and they found out that the Yiga are hiding in a series of caves and tunnels. If they can get that far, can't they get into the base? You think we have not tried that already? Biliara snapped. Several of them have been killed in attempting to infiltrate. That is why we attacked last night. The attack was merely supposed to be a distraction to allow another infiltration attempt. Link shook his head. No, that's the same tactic they used in Zora's domain. That won't work. Clearly. So you now understand our problem, Riju said. She looked smaller now, more childlike. It was interesting how, for a time, she seemed so much older. We need the Thunderhelm to board Naboris, but it has been stolen. We have to get it back, Ling said, grimacing. Do you know how many Yigar are there? Boliara sighed. We have not been able to get a proper estimate. But they fought back with at least 200 warriors yesterday. We sent a force of 400. Link closed his eyes, thinking. If what they were saying was accurate, then the Yiga's fortified position would be incredibly difficult to attack. And even if they did successfully get past the Yiga defenses, he was sure that they had other escape routes planned. Or they could just destroy the Thunderhelm, if they hadn't done so already. So if they couldn't attack the Yiga, then what? The Gerudo hadn't been able to infiltrate the base. But of course they hadn't. The Gerudo were so distinctive. Unless the Yiga had a number of Gerudo within their ranks, there was no way they could go unnoticed. His eyes snapped open. I have an idea, 